listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. In case you didn't know, Nathan's been pastor of student ministry here at Faith for uh, uh, at least three years. Nathan, you know, I, I remember when you came to candidate. How old was Hazel at the time? Uh, we candidated in May, and she was born in March, so about two months. Yeah, I remember seeing you with that newborn and just being incredulous at how you could uh, pick up a newborn and uh, come like that. It was all a blur. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he's leading our middle school and high school students to take their steps of faith to make them their own. He grew up in the Cincinnati area, one of eight boys. I thought two brothers was a lot, but <laughs> seven. Uh, and he's also, unfortunately, a Cincinnati Bengals fan. I, I suppose if you're born and grow up in the state and city that has a professional team, then you have a, a right, even though we would expect you to eventually learn from being in Indianapolis that there are other yeah. professional teams. You're listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. He's married to Claire. And if you remember, Claire shared her faith story a couple years ago. So we don't have them together this time. And that's still in the archives, I understand it. Um, But they're blessed now with two little girls, Hazel and Adelie. Uh, We should welcome Nathan for being here this morning. All right. Well, um, I'll just give a brief intro of like, I mean, that was a fine intro, but just a little bit more about me and my background, uh, because probably many of you don't know a whole lot about me. Um, I know my students get to hear uh, a lot of my stories and bits and pieces as I teach, but, um, you know, and maybe a little bit, I share little stories here and there when I preach, um, but just for a greater background. So uh, I, I do consider Cincinnati kind of as my hometown. Uh, but I was actually born in Tennessee. Uh, my parents met in Memphis. Um, they were married. They moved to Jackson, Tennessee a few years after they were married. Uh, I am the fourth. I have a few family pictures that I found from the archives. Um, these are not the oldest family pictures, but just some that I found. Circa 1994 AD, I am the cute one on my dad's lap there in the middle. Um, this this one here, um, I am the one on the left with the cute turtleneck. This was at the Memphis Zoo, I believe, uh, hence why my brother is wearing a leopard shirt. Um, this is now, there are six of us. Um, this is around 1999. I was missing some teeth. And this was a family picture we had taken uh, a couple years back. This was, it's a little grainy on the screen, I realize. It doesn't look that way on the computer. Uh, but Yes, Claire and I are on the right, and then these are my other brothers and their wives, uh, and there is uh, one grandbaby in this picture, but in the three years since, this is my parents and their grandkids now, um, plus one that's not in the picture. This was this last Christmas, and uh, we had a new nephew born about three weeks ago since then, with at least one more on the way that we know of. So um, yeah, this is a little bit of my family. Uh, so yes, I was, I'll just, you know, Leave this picture up so you can admire our family for a little bit. Um, This was the family I grew up in. My parents, Paul and Laura, um, kind of raised us in a 
traditional Christian family, moral values type family situation. Uh, that's a long description, but basically we, we grew up in part of the Bible belt where, and I guess the era as well, at least from what I remember in the nineties, um, which for some of you seems like not so long ago. Uh, but for me, that is a long time ago. Um, in, in a situation where like we valued family morals, we went to church every Sunday. Uh, we served as part of my church. My dad was an elder once upon a time at our church. And, um, you know, my parents taught parenting classes to other parents and, uh, had great community at our church. And, and so that's kind of the situation that, uh, I grew up in and I guess for current situation, yeah, we've been at faith for, for three years. And before that, uh, my wife and I lived in Milwaukee while I finished up my, uh, Masters of Divinity degree at TEDS in Chicago. So uh, I'll share more later about how I got to where I'm at now in terms of a youth pastor at Faith Church in Indianapolis. And you titled your uh, story, uh, Sanctification in the Ordinary. I'm sure that must have some meaning. You've uh, described a little bit about your background, your family, you've, uh, um, from the ordinary. What uh, do you see having uh, in encourage your sanctification. Yeah. So I gave this talk a title before I had written the talk. So that was part of it. I didn't know what my talk was going to be like when I titled it. Um, and part of it too, is like not to diminish my story or the God's work in my life or for anyone else who maybe has a story similar to mine, but because I grew up in the church my whole life, um, I don't, I would not consider myself as someone who has gone through very difficult trials. Um, I obviously have had trials, but I mean, my, my family is healthy. Uh, my parents love Jesus, love each other. Uh, all of my brothers and our wives, to my knowledge, are all walking with the Lord and raising grandkids to, to love Jesus, which is an amazing thing. And, and like, not only have I not really felt like I've experienced very many true hardships that, you know, make a gripping story, but also I don't feel like I've had very many particularly like super high mountaintop experiences. And I feel like, you know, it's just kind of been this ebb and flow throughout my 29 years of life that God has just been kind of shaping me. So um, a passage that came to mind is from 2 Corinthians 3, um, verses 17 and 18, uh, which is right after Paul is talking about how we are each ministers of the new covenant. He says in 17 and 18, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So as I was reflecting on my story and what God has been teaching me over the years of my life, um, the theme that kind of came to mind was just this, this slow incremental change from one degree of glory to the next. That at least in my life, it wasn't like these major shifts like, oh, I, you know, I was living on the streets and, and now God changed my life. And, and not to diminish or elevate those stories, but some of us have stories like that where God found us in the deepest and darkest place. Uh, and then for some of us, you know, it's like, I don't even remember what it's like to not go to church. And, and that's kind of my story. But at the same way, God works in both those stories and God gets glory from both from all types of our stories. So um, that's kind of what led me to uh, this kind of format for telling my story and being true to myself. Uh, I have divided this into four portions alliterated uh, in terms of people, places, pastoring, and parenting uh, in terms of ways that God has used ordinary circumstances 
for my sanctification and his glory. How many of you remember the, the time when we were locked down completely and we were doing virtual church and we had discussion sermons? Remember that when Jeff and Joey and Nathan and Tom were... Very vague memory of that. <laughs> Somehow I feel like we're in that sort of setting right now. They're sort of sharing uh, the beginnings of a story. But I, I've heard Nathan talk many times about how important it is for uh, the kids in junior high and high school to have mentors, to have people that they can identify outside their own family or pastors uh, to help guide their spiritual growth. Uh, you mentioned people as being one of your alliterative uh, titles here. Uh, who uh, can you identify? I'm sure your parents had something to do with that, but were there people outside your parental units that uh, helped guide your spiritual life? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, definitely didn't write that myself. Um, yeah, so definitely my parents. I think um, my parents would never be the ones to say they were perfect. Neither would I. Uh, you know, like many parents, they, they try to raise their kids um, to love the Lord. And, um, you know, I think of the proverb, we're in a series on Proverbs, you know, train a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's not a guarantee, but that's kind of a principle for wisdom. And sometimes I know for many of us, many of you, you, you raise your kids to love the Lord and you can't control their will and they don't love the Lord. Uh, maybe some of us have wayward kids or, or know people who do. And so um, when I think of the, the effect that my parents had on me and my own spiritual journey, um, I think a lot of the things we did as family, they probably had an intended or desired effect. Um, like, hey, we're going to go to church every Sunday, and this is the effect or desire we want it to show in our kids' lives. Or we're going to, you know, have a community group, or we're going to do these things, or we're going to have these rules around the house. We're going to monitor the type of language, like we're not going to, you know, speak crudely. We're not going to do these things. And, and so I think for a lot of things, it maybe didn't have the desired effect that they wanted it to. But at the same time, I think God still used that to transform and shape me in different ways. So here's an example. Uh, growing up, uh, we liked, you know, we were in Awana. We, once again, growing up in the Bible Belt, growing up in a I think it was an SBC church. I'm not sure, a Southern Baptist for the, for the acronym. Um, but anyway, it was, it was a very traditional church, similar to part of faith, I guess, with the first service, always singing hymns um, with the organ. I don't think I ever saw a guitar on stage. Um, but also just like huge emphasis on like Christian education, Sunday school classes, adult education classes, that type of thing. Um, but one of the things that we did as a family is like we always had family devotions and they always, growing up, they, part of our like mandatory morning ritual, you talked about, you can't come to breakfast without, um, without changing out of your pajamas. For us, it was like the first thing you have to do in the morning is read your Bible. It was like forced upon us in a sense. And as you might imagine, it's not very fun to do things when you're forced to do them, especially if it's not fun. And so while we might've been forced and they were maybe the entire desired effect was that we would grow to love the Bible. I don't think it necessarily had that effect, but the effect that watching my parents did have on us is seeing how they every morning, like when we would wake up, we would have our alarm set and we'd wake up, come downstairs. They would have already been awake. They're sitting together either on the couch or something. My parents would be reading their Bible. They'd be spending time in prayer. And we knew we were not supposed to interrupt them. Like we were not to go, uh, say, hey, how's it going? What are we doing today or anything like that? It's like, no, that is their. And so while 
they had rules in our house that maybe didn't have the effect they wanted. What they modeled for us was lives that were committed to following Jesus and knowing Jesus. So even at the time when I really didn't care that much, later in life, as I think about, okay, who do I know in my life that are people that love Jesus and what can I glean from what I've seen from them? I think my parents are, are definitely a part of that. Some other people in my, my life along the way, there are obviously too many people to, to name or count, especially because, let's be real, due to the title, they're all fairly ordinary. You know, they're teachers, they're youth pastors, they're friends, there's mentors, right? There's been many people along the way, but I'll share uh, just a, a little bit about a couple. Um, one uh, was a, my youth pastor in, in high school. Um, we moved to Cincinnati when I was just right before I turned 12. Uh, and so when we moved, we moved from being out in the country, we were homeschooled. So being out in the country in Tennessee to moving to like a suburb of Cincinnati uh, with, you know, living in a cul-de-sac, um, very, you know, culture shock-ish for, for a lot of us. Um, and when we got to Faith Church, not this one, but a Faith Church in Milford, Ohio, uh, I was entering seventh grade. And there were some people who like knew I was visiting and, and tried to, you know, make a friend out of me or something like that. Um, there was obviously for the people that I witnessed, our youth group was a little bit bigger than the one here. So like 50 to 60 high school students, like 30 to 40 middle school students. And um, I did not fit in. I was very, very socially awkward. Um, I did not really know how to make friends. My friends up to that point was just like friends or kids that my parents were friends with their parents, if that makes sense. So I didn't really know how to make friends. I, you know, didn't know how to talk to girls and, you know, all this time, like wondering how to make friends. And I was just, I was that awkward kid in youth group. Uh, there were several of us, um, but I was definitely one of them. And our youth pastor, he got hired there right after we moved. So from his perspective, I had always been at this church. He didn't know I'd only been there a couple months, but for, I don't know why, I don't know if it was the Lord's prompting or something he thought of. I was someone that he just decided to, to pour into on, on another level in terms of he would have projects. He's like putting stuff on the walls in the youth room, or he would be building something for um, the youth group. And he would just call me up. This was more maybe when I was in high school, but he would call me up and say, Hey, I'm building this thing. You want to come help? And so I'm like, Hey, why not? And, and so he and I have actually maintained a really great relationship. You know, whenever I was in college or in seminary, asking him questions. Um, he actually uh, came and was the speaker of our fall retreat this past year for high school students. And my students loved him, which was my fear because they realized how much better of a youth pastor he is than I am. Um, but anyway, so it's been great having someone like him who, like I, he, he never tries to hide his weaknesses. He doesn't try to pretend like he's got it all together. And he's very honest with me. And even like asks me for advice now, which is very weird to me because like, no, like you've been doing this. He's still the youth pastor at Faith Church in Milford, Ohio. And all my younger brothers have gone through youth group now. My youngest brother just graduated high school. And um, it's been really cool just seeing his impact on my whole family's life, just based on how he mentored and discipled each of us that went through his youth group. Um, so that's one person that I think of. And there's definitely others. There's a mentor in high school who was a teacher who just showed me how much the Bible and theology really does matter um, and that it doesn't have to be boring and dull, but you can make it exciting. I think of the pastor of our church in Milwaukee, one of the pastors there who I had a relationship with where um, he did not need me for anything, 
yet once again, similar to my youth pastor, he decided to invest in me. He invited me to come work on his sermon with him when I gave him nothing of value. Uh, but it was just really cool to have someone in my life to, to mentor and disciple me. And, and so that was someone, but uh, a story I'll share kind of about once again, going back to this theme of one degree of glory to the next ordinary people that God used to sanctify me and shape me into the image of Jesus. Um, so when I graduated high school, I, I had some good relationships with friends. I had some, some good friends, but I was still kind of an awkward kid. And I think because most of my friends always knew, like had known me in middle school when I was really quiet and really awkward. Um, I think that kind of tainted their view of me and they didn't want to be my friend, which I had made peace with, but it was still was like not great. So when I got to college, I went to school six hours away, partially intentionally, um, because I just wanted a fresh start. So I got to college and I had this, I, I realized very quickly, like, hey, no one knows anything about me. I can be whoever I want to be. Um, I don't have to be the quiet, awkward kid. I could be the funny guy. And so I kind of reinvented myself to be the funny guy, to be this outgoing, you know, super fun, crazy guy that everyone wants to be around. And it, I'm honestly shocked it worked. Um, but on, on our freshman hall, I was the guy that everyone wanted to be around. And like, obviously it was a very sinful desire. It was very 100% rooted in pride and selfishness. And I recognize that now, but at the time I'm like, Hey, this is fun. Like when I decide I'm going to go to lunch at the cafeteria, everyone else gets out of their room and goes with me, but no one else does that. Like everyone waits. To, and I like, I wore this as like a badge of honors. Like I'm the guy that everyone wants to be around also during this time. And Granted, I recognize there's a lot worse things you can do in college. But for me, the, the thing that really unfortunately shaped a lot of who I am was I just wanted to be funny. I would go, there was basically no line I would not cross to try and get laughs. And a lot of that came back to sarcasm at other people's expense. Um, so if I could make fun of Phil to make all of you laugh, I would do that. And, and I did that frequently. And it would still be funny for a lot of people, but not really recognizing the wreckage I'm leaving in my wake of how I'm using my sarcasm to put myself forward and put other people down. Um, and so anyway, this, this went on through college for several years. Also during college, I was at a Christian school. I was um, studying the Bible. I had this idea that I wanted to be a pastor. And I'll, once again, I'll come back to that later. But um, so I'm studying the Bible. I'm in classes and everything. But I, it was a very spiritually dry time. I was not going to church very regularly. I would go every once in a while if there were other people going that I wanted to go hang out with or that kind of thing. Um, but I, I just did not put very much effort at all into my spiritual walk with God. And so anyway, the other person that God used, very nothing against this person, but very ordinary person, wasn't like this, some pastor at a retreat or anything like that, was a friend of mine that I had met on a mission trip. Once again, serving Jesus on mission trips, but not really putting any effort or anything into my own walk with God. Um, but anyway, I, I had met this person. Uh, her name was Annette. And myself, her, and a couple other people had developed this friendship after serving on this mission trip for a couple years in a row. And I thought we were like really good friends. We liked to hang out in groups. Uh, we would hang out every once in a while, one-on-one. -on -one. And there was one time where we were hanging out. This was towards the end of my junior year of college. And um, she told me, she's like, hey, I need to tell you something. And I was like, okay, like, what do you have to tell me? And she said, 
I want you to know, I have been praying every night for the last like three weeks, asking God for an answer. And I don't have an answer. I don't understand what I've been asking God is why are you so mean to me? And it was like this shocking moment where I didn't even, I don't remember how the conversation went after that. I don't remember anything I tried to say to give myself excuses, but it was like this jarring moment where I realized like, I am not a very nice person. Like I am kind of a jerk. And um, it kind of took someone being honest with me. And and I've come to realize that there was a lot of people who knew that and just stopped hanging out with me because I was a jerk. And, and no one ever wanted to actually tell me that how I was acting and how I was treating them was mean. And I wouldn't necessarily say it was necessarily bullying, but I mean, it's, it was not nice. It was very disrespectful, dishonoring and all that. So that was kind of a moment in my life where, and I've since told her this because her family lives in Indy of all places. And she's come back at um, like for Christmas, she's come to our Christmas Eve service with Claire and I, uh, which has been really cool. But, um, I've been able to share with her like, hey, you might not have thought anything of it at the time, but God used you at a very important moment in my life to show me that I was not walking in a way that was honoring to God or honoring to others. So that, that's a kind of been a cool full circle moment. But yeah, God, God, that was kind of the beginning of the time where I would say like, I kind of began to understand that I can't just live however I want and do whatever I want to do and just say, oh yeah. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. I'm good. I'm going to still do whatever I want. So those are just a few of the people along the way. Like I said, there's many, many more, but I don't have time for all of them. Sounds like there are among those people, both positive and some sort of negative uh, influences that shaped you when you're describing going into youth group as a junior higher and having a hard time getting friends. Uh, most of your friends up to that point were brothers. Uh, it's true. Seven, seven brothers, uh, that, that uh, makes a difference. Well, uh, and among those uh, P's, uh, places, ordinary places, you said were part of your uh, uh, shaping and sanctification. Uh, can you tell us about some of the ordinary places or events that uh, contributed to your sanctification? Yeah, sanctification? yeah, for sure. And, and once again, not selling other things short, but obviously they're through youth group, um, going on retreats, I, I think fondly of a lot of the retreats, you know, the spiritual highs of being, you know, away from distraction, away from family, away from your phone and that kind of thing. And, and having those moments on retreats and camps and service trips, those will always, you know, be fond memories of mine when I, when I think about them. But when I think about it, just a few specific examples to share with you, um, I think one of the first places that come to mind is actually the campus of Purdue University, because in 2006, it hosted Challenge, the national uh, conference for EFCA students uh, that happens every two years. So it was right after we moved. I didn't know anyone at our church, but when they said, hey, you know, this is the final signups for Challenge, my parents like, hey, you're going. And I didn't really know what it was, and I didn't really have any desire to go or not go, but I went. And it was up until that point, my spiritual understanding of who Jesus is and what it means to be a Christian was When I was six years old, I prayed a prayer because I wanted to take communion like my brothers. Monkey see, monkey do. My brothers got to take communion because they had, you know, said this prayer, uh, accepting Jesus into their heart. 
as the language we used to use. Uh, and I had not prayed this prayer yet, so I couldn't take communion. I'm like, well, I want to do that. So I talked to my dad about it, and he's like, well, you need to say this prayer. And I said, okay, count me in. Uh, and I don't think it really meant a whole lot to me at the time, or nor did I fully understand it, because anytime we would be at some program or at church or whatever, and there was an altar call, or I'd go to camp, and I'd hear these things, like, well, I'm going to pray this again just to be safe. Uh, and I know I'm not alone in that. I've heard from a lot of other people who kind of grew up in similar traditions, like, oh, yeah, every time there is a prayer – Pray it just in case. Just some extra credit. Yeah, extra credit. You definitely don't want to go to hell. And I definitely, excuse me, did not want to go to hell. So anyway, challenge 2006 at Purdue was through the, the, the times of worship, small group time, uh, but I think especially the speakers uh, and just kind of some of the things they communicated. It was the first time I kind of began to realize that being a Christian is not this um, – one-time prayer, this one-time decision, like accept Jesus into your heart. And now you can just kind of continue on living life. But it was like, oh, like there's this whole aspect of discipleship and sanctification and that we should grow and sh- and change. And, and like, there was like these things that I began to realize like, oh, it's not just this one-time decision. So that's, that's one location, one place that I think God used. Um, another one that I can think of was Eagle Butte, South Dakota, on the Cheyenne River Sioux Reservation. Uh, now for some context, um, my, the summer after my junior year, so this was the summer very soon after I had had this conversation with a friend where I realized I was not living in a way that I should be living. Um, I had a ministry internship with um, uh, YouthWorks, which is a ministry that facilitates missions trips. And so I had signed up to be on staff it was a paid ministry internship. That was all I really cared about. They placed me in, in South Dakota on this site, and I was the work projects coordinator. So I like facil- I like went into the community, found people that needed some work done, whether it was painting their house or building a fence or maybe building a wheelchair ramp or stuff like that. And when these youth groups or churches would come in for a week, I would be the person saying, hey, here's the project we're going to do. We're going to try and accomplish this in three days or stuff like that. So that was kind of my job. But going into that summer – you know, there was a lot I was thinking about and processing, a lot I was trying to understand about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to truly be a disciple of him. And, and, and I kind of made this commitment to God and to myself that I'm like, I'm going to attempt to read my Bible every day this summer. I had not regularly read my Bible since I was like six or seven, back when my parents stopped mandating that we read it. You know, they realized it didn't really work to force us to read our Bible. So they kind of made it an optional, like we encourage you to do so, but I'm not going to withhold food from you if you don't read your Bible. Um, and so I had just said, okay, I'm going to read and I'm going to try and journal in the mornings. And it was a sacrifice to do that because our mornings as staff started very early by 6am, we had to be up and going. So that required waking up at like 4:30 or five some mornings. And I did not like that. And it was not fun, but still, during this time, um, God really revealed to me how much I needed him, how much I needed to trust him, uh, not just for some of the big things, but even for some of the little things. Um, I would say this is the most prayerful I have ever been in my life because I just had no idea what I was doing. I, I, the training they gave me was not sufficient. I had no idea what I was doing and I felt totally out of my element. And yet God used my desperation, my desperation prayers to grow me. Um, just as a couple examples, um, 
during the summer, I found myself praying for things that I, I never would have thought I would pray for. Um, they're not the types of things they teach you to pray for. Uh, but God honors our prayer requests, I think, even in moments of desperation. So um, just, I mean, some things of like, uh, when I'm like trying to find out what people need in the community, a lot of people just wanted their lawns mowed, but because of the poverty level and where we were serving, people didn't have lawnmowers or anything like that. And mowing someone's lawn wasn't really a project I could send a whole group to do like, hey, we're going to spend three days mowing this person's lawn. No, it doesn't really work. And I didn't have a lawnmower. And so I was contemplating buying one and I was just praying for one. I'd asked our team, like, let's just pray for a lawnmower. And then like that week, Sunday night, a group shows up. They brought a whole trailer of stuff that they just had gotten together some donations. And there were two lawnmowers that this church brought. We had not asked them to bring it, but God provided. And so during my free time throughout the summer, I was able to serve people by mowing their lawns. Um, there was a, a lady who needed a fence built um, in her yard for her kids and her pets and stuff. And she had all the materials. Uh, but she didn't have any post hole diggers and there was no way we were going to build a fence without post hole diggers. And they didn't really give us a budget to do these projects. We just basically had to rely on donations and see if we could do projects. Like we had paint and that was it. So most of what we did was painting houses and I really wanted to like help this lady. And so we were going to help her. And I was just like, once again, asked our team, like, let's pray for post hole diggers. And then the night before um, the project was supposed to start, still not knowing what we were supposed to do, um, she called me uh, and said, hey, I, I found a friend who has three three sets. And so if you're good to go, we're good to go. I was like, praise the Lord. Answered these prayers that I never thought in my life I would pray for some of these things. Um, but I think another way that God used this place, uh, you know, and obviously it's not just a place, but it's how I've structured my talk. So bear with me. Um, South Dakota, this is also the place where I met Claire. So she was one of the other staff members that they assign at quote unquote random. I think in God's providence, he brought us together uh, in some way or another. Uh, she was one of the other people on staff and she was another person that I saw how much she loved Jesus. I saw how much she cared about her relationship with him, that she would take time away from the busyness of the mornings or the evenings to just spend time in prayer, to spend time reading his word. She would listen to sermons in her spare time. And I'm just like, what? this is so weird to me. Like even for someone who grew up in church and who, and who, um, you know, and, but at the same time, it was, it was also very attractive. And she t has told me since that like one of the things that attracted me to her or however that works was that I was also reading my Bible and journaling. Little did she know at the time I had literally just started this, you know, daily, but she's like, Oh man, he is journaling every morning. That is so attractive. And I'm like, yeah, you didn't know I had literally just started. So once again, I think God's timing, we joke about it now that if, if, you know, in somehow in timing, we had met each other in high school or in college, neither one of us would have liked the other person uh, for various reasons of our own selfishness and sinfulness. So it, it was God's timing and that he brought us together. But um, so, yeah, I, I think very fondly of the time in South Dakota, the way God made me, forced me, brought me to my knees and forced me to rely on him uh, and, depend, and depend on him. So I think of that. And then the last place I will share about um, was my college dorm room my senior year. So uh, South Dakota happened. I had one year of college left, went back to college, finished up my biblical studies degree. And it was just after class one day, halfway through the semester, I was in my dorm room and I was just I don't even remember why I was thinking about these things, but I was just processing through what does it mean to walk with Jesus? What does it mean to fully 
give myself over to following him. And I kind of had this realization that for most of my life, I was increasingly surrendering my life to him. Um, but in, once again, in ordinary ways, but I was still at this point in my life being 21 years old, studying the Bible, planning to go to seminary. There was about 10 to 15% of my life. I had not yet fully surrendered. Um, there were still some things I was holding on to, whether it was, uh, sins or bitterness or parts of my life that I just didn't want to yield control to God over, um, I realized like, I'm still holding on to some of these things. And so there in my dorm room, I just kind of made, once again, through prayer, made this commitment to God, like, all right, this 15%, I'm surrendering it fully. And it was like the first moment in my life where I could say, I felt full surrender to Jesus that even though, yes, like maybe I was a Christian beforehand, I don't really know the moment where the spirit opened my heart and my heart responded to the good news of the gospel. But this was the moment where I felt I was fully surrendered, no matter what the consequences were of some of the people I needed to seek forgiveness from, uh, the people I needed to confess to and and that kind of thing. So um, that was a a very ordinary place that God used in in my life. And um, I had something else I was going to say, but I forgot. So I'll leave it at that. It looks to me like, uh, people and places intersect sometimes in terms of your, particularly with uh, Claire meeting you at the improbable location of a Native American reservation in South Dakota. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would have not been predictable, but uh, I guess ordinary too. You, you've identified several times pastors that have had significant role in your sanctification, your youth pastor in uh, high school and the pastor of Milwaukee who mm-hmm. kind of took you under his wing. Uh, we know you best as our youth pastor, and some of us are admiring your preaching pastor skills, too. I, I particularly, and the last time you spoke was after a week at uh, uh, Myrtle Beach, I think, and then coming back on, on Saturday and preaching on Sunday, and did a very good job of that. But uh, how how did uh, your, your call to pastoring grow out of your uh, ordinary sanctification experiences and uh, how did you end up here at Faith Church? I think some of us know part of that story, but not yeah. in this context. Yeah, so I'll, I'll kind of tackle this as you framed it in two parts, kind of my general call to ministry and then also the specific way that God brought us here to faith. Um, so once again, growing up, I admired a lot about my brothers. I wanted to be them. I wanted to do the things that they were doing. And um, we there was the, this camp that we went to as part of our Awana program. Um, that I had witnessed my brothers coming back from this camp with these spiritual high experiences um, where one of my brothers even, you know, accepted the gospel, came back and shared the story. And we even have it on video recording of him giving his like testimony and how he came to. So like I went to camp the first time as like maybe third or fourth grade uh, was when I was eligible and kind of in the back of my mind the whole week, I'm like, Oh man, I've got to have some spiritual experience to write home about basically. And, um, and so it was like the last night, I don't even remember anything else about the whole week, basically, other than the last night they were giving an altar call and they were like, you know, if, if you want to accept Jesus, you know, um, come down to the front. And I was like, okay, I've already accepted Jesus. I don't need that. And so I'm kind of waiting for like another call, you know, one eye open, like what else is happening? And then they're like, well, maybe you're at a place where, you know, you've accepted Jesus, but you're sensing God, you know, has a greater mission for your life. If you feel a calling to, to serve him in a greater way, like stand up and walk to the back of the room. And I felt no nudge whatsoever 
but I decided to stand up and walk out anyway. Uh, and so I went to the back and talked with a counselor and um, kind of out of thin air, just told him like, I, I really sense God's calling on my life to be a missionary. And he was like, so encouraging. And, and, but like, I, I kind of just literally just made this up. Like I really did not sense, no, maybe God had a hand in that, but did not sense this, you know, calling at all. And so I went home and told my parents about it. And of course they were excited and encouraging. And then like a week later, I was like, what was I thinking? <laughs> like, that seems pretty crazy. I don't know if I actually want to do that. So that was maybe the first moment where maybe God used something that I thought he had nothing to do with to kind of lead me there. But that's not why I'm here. That, that's not the only reason I felt a calling on my life to, to ministry. And so I guess a little bit of the longer version is through high, middle school and high school, you know, everyone wrestles with, okay, what am I going to do? What are you going to do with your life? You know, people, you get sick of people asking you, what are you going to do when you graduate high school? And I was very sick of that question. And I didn't really have a great idea. All my older brothers kind of had this idea. Like my oldest brother went into computer science. My next brother was a chemical engineer. Uh, my next brother went into finance. And here I'm like, I don't know what I want to do. Um, I'm not a planner. I don't plan things very far in advance at all, even as a pastor. It's one of the ways I'm continually trying to grow. Uh, but uh, there was a moment in my senior year of high school, I still didn't know where I was going. I, I think I had been accepted to a couple colleges, but I had no strong inklings one way or the other. And I had some interest in, in film, uh, not just watching movies, but uh, like filming and video editing, like that kind of stuff. Uh, I enjoyed that. I had a friend who had like a film business who would like film weddings and school plays and that kind of thing. So I helped him out and I, I just enjoyed that. So I was like, oh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll go to film school, do some video editing. I enjoy that. And um, around the time I was kind of wrestling with this question, like, what is God's will for my life? I think it's a question that many of us at one time or another ask. And if we're not careful, it could be somewhat of a crippling or paralyzing question. Like, what is God's will? We don't want to do the thing that's not God's will. That's the wrong thing. So how do we know what is God's will for my life? And so I was kind of wrestling with that. And I can't remember who gave me this book, but someone gave me a book called Just Do Something. And it kind of wrestles with this question of, and it's a little short book. It's an easy read. And um, it, it's this answering this question. I think it's specifically geared towards like teens and young adults, but um, basically don't wait around for this sign from God or this writing on the wall or cloud in the sky, like just do something like seek to honor God with your life, seek to serve him, obviously pray about things. And, and, but if you're like praying for a decision and you're like, should I do this or this, which college should I go to? And there's not this audible voice from heaven. Like that's okay. Choose what you feel like would honor God. And God could probably use you in both situations. And maybe that's why you don't have an audible answer is because God's like, Hey, I'm ready to use you. Just do something. And so I kind of read this book and realized like, okay, I'm just going to do something. I'm going to go to film school. And then it was around that time. This was at this point, it was summer. So I'm getting ready pretty much to, to leave for um, college soon. Um, maybe it was early summer, late spring. Cause I hadn't decided yet, but anyway, um, I was working at Chick-fil-A and uh, there were some people I was friends with at Chick-fil-A. I'd worked there for a couple of years, but I had never hung out with anyone outside of work uh, of people that I worked with. And our youth group had uh, partnered with some other churches to host this, can't even remember what it was called. It was some ministry that they came to high schools 
and did like four nights of performances. And then at the end of each night, there was like a gospel presentation and an altar call. And like the first night was like this Polynesian dance group that, you know, threw flaming batons in the air and did some really cool things. And then there was a BMX night where, you know, skateboarding and bikes, they put ramps on the stage and you're doing all. And then once again, sharing testimonies at the end. And, um, and then the last night was the day I was working, um, in the morning, it was a Saturday. So last night was Saturday. I was working Saturday morning. I was working with one of my friends named Joe. And I had kind of felt a little guilty at this point that I hadn't invited anyone. Um, mostly probably because I was homeschooled. I didn't know a whole lot of non-Christians outside of my youth group, but I was like, all right, well, I guess I can kind of invite him. And it was like, it's a, I think a story of how God used the smallest amount of effort on our part to do his greatest amount of work. And that my invitation to him went something like this. Hey, um, there's like something going on tonight at Milford High School, like if you want to go. And that was about it. And he was very gracious. Not, he was gracious, but like I just it was like the small and I was like, okay, I invited him, got that off my chest. I feel good about this. So I went home from work and I mean I kind of told him what it was. I told him, hey, it's like a, a strong man event where you know big, strong men and women come and do these feats of strength, you know, not just like breaking boards, but, you know, flipping tires and, you know, taking a a frying pan and rolling it up like a burrito and all this crazy stuff. And so I kind of told him a little bit about what it was. Um, But he texted me that afternoon and said, Hey, like, I think I'm actually going to come. And I was like, Oh, cool. I was really hoping you would. And like, <laughs> like I had no plan for it. And so anyway, I meet him there. We watched the whole thing and it was a pretty cool event at one point, you know, one of the performers gave his testimony and, you know, he, so my friend Joe uh, was a year younger than me and he was playing football and um, he wanted to, he like had a plan. He's like, I'm going to go to this university. I'm going to play football. This is the plan I have. And one of the performers who gave his testimony had a similar story of um he played football in high school he had a d1 scholarship but then like right before he went to college maybe in college he got injured couldn't play football anymore his whole life basically uh everything he had planned went out the window turned to terrible things like you know drugs alcohol sex all this stuff and you know god found him at the end of his rope and you know brought him back and it was a very powerful testimony and so at the end of the night you know they give an altar call and um uh, Joe didn't go for it or anything like that. And I was kind of talking to him like, so what'd you think? And he's like, yeah, it's a little different than what I was expecting. And I was like, yeah, sorry about that. Didn't warn you. Um, which to be fair, our youth pastor said like, don't trick people into coming, like tell them what it is. And I was too shy and ashamed to do that. And, um, so anyway, we, at the, he's like, Hey, I think I want to go talk to, to this guy who gave his testimony. And I was like, Oh, okay. That, that's cool for me. And so then like, while when we went down and we're talking with him, um, we didn't really share anything about our own lives. We just said like, I just was letting, I was like, all right, Joe, stage is yours. You want to talk to him? And so Joe talked to him a little bit, just like, Hey, thanks for sharing your story. I resonate a lot with that. Like he basically was like, asked him like, how, how did you like find hope when like everything you wanted was like out the window? And like, he was able to like point Joe back to Jesus and like, to my knowledge and understanding, uh, as it appeared to me, like he accepted Jesus and the gospel that very night. Like it wasn't even through me. God used my minimal amount of effort for his greatest amount of glory. And yet at that time I was like, all right, this is really cool. This is awesome. I got to like witness this and see this and now I'm done. And like, so um, this guy prayed for Joe and 
uh, my guess is, um, had spiritual gift of discernment, possibly a prophetic word. He started praying for Joe, and then in the middle of it, like, shifted and started praying for his mom. Joe had not shared anything about his mom. but And I didn't even know anything that was going on with his mom. But long story short, there were things going on that I didn't know and that this guy didn't know, but the spirit knew. And um, specifically prayed for Joe to a point where he was brought to tears knowing that God knew something about him. And so I was just, once again, blown away by what God was doing. And I was, but at the same time, kind of ready to go. And this guy says, like, all right, what's your name? And I was like, oh, my name's Nathan. He's like, you know, did you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior tonight? And I was like, oh, no, I've been walking with him for a long time. He's like, okay, well, let me pray for you. And once again, like, prays for me. And then out of nowhere, starts praying things about, like, specific things about what I had been wrestling with over these last few weeks of, like, discerning the will of God. He's like, God, I can sense that Nathan is trying to understand your will for him and what he needs to do. And I can sense that you are calling him. I can see him as a pastor someday. Let this be the encouragement he needs to make that step. And so I was like, whoa, that's a little weird. Um, and so once again, it wasn't, it wasn't just like this, you know, cause let's be real for all we know, like I could say that about any of you and it could be nothing. Right. But I do sense it as a, a work of God from the spirit saying, Hey, I know you were ready to make a decision without a sign from God, but here's your sign that you were asking for. Um, and have I experienced anything like that since? Not really, but every step along the way, like I think, and this is the other thing. It's like when those things happen, we still want to check it against scripture and check it against what else we know about to be true of God. And so I took that and I started talking to people about it. Started to ask my family, started to ask my mentors, started to ask my youth pastor, like, Hey, it seems like God is calling me to this. Does this seem to line up with what you know of me with like my gifting, you know, where God has brought me to this point. And even since then being in college and then in seminary, working with other churches all along the way, like people have been confirming and affirming to me, like it is clear that God has gifted you in this way. And so it wasn't just that, that has brought me to be a pastor. Cause I think that might be a little dangerous if we just hear one prayer from someone like I'm going to change and alter my entire life with nothing else. But all along the way, there've been people as well. So that was kind of began my story of going into ministry. And so I studied biblical studies, graduated, went to seminary, got an MDiv. But in terms of how I got here, um, which checking the time for a moment, um, I'll try and be brief. Um, we, uh, so we were in a church, at a church in Milwaukee that we had really come to love, um, had some great connections there. It was a little bit of a larger church. It was a multi-campus church. Uh, and I was, had a really good relationship with one of the campus pastors, like I shared earlier. And there was a time in my life where like, I had this desire that when I graduated seminary, I would be able to be a pastor there. Um, just because of the connections, their love for Jesus, love for the community. And they're still a really great church. And, and I love a lot of things they, they're doing. Um, but it had kind of become apparent by the time I was gr- getting close to graduating that there was just like not really an opening for me. Um, and so obviously I was looking at other places. We wanted to move closer to her, Claire's family or mine. So we were looking in Northern Wisconsin and Cincinnati, and there had been some little nibbles here and there, some opportunities, but nothing that really came through. And wasn't really finding anything, maybe getting a little bit discouraged and decided to broaden the search around Cincinnati. I'm like, well, maybe I'll look in Columbus. I'll look in Dayton. I'll look in Northern Kentucky. And I expanded the search to Indianapolis because it was just a, a little bit further. It's like hour and a half, hour 45 or so. And so I found this job posting 
and applied and, um, you know, had some interviews with Joey and Jonathan Baker and some other people on the search team. Uh, Steve Shambaugh, who was up here interviewing first hour, um, he was on the team, as was Don Waltz and some other people. Uh, and anyway, so like it seemed I'm like with every place I applied, I'm like, I'm just going to see where this goes. If God opens this door and they call me back, I'll just see what happens. And so it was a, a time for Claire and I where we really had to, to trust God in a lot of it um, and just trust that, hey, we're just going to follow his leading. And once again, we're just going to do something. We're going to see what happens when we um, follow some of these paths. Um, so once again, trying to be brief, there's a lot more details that if you're really interested, you can ask me about sometime the more full version, but we had come here for a secret weekend, um, where no one really knew we were here and we were just kind of got to observe and, and meet some people and, and see you guys in your natural habitat. Uh, and we, we left, um, dri- I remember driving back up to Milwaukee and we both kind of had the same sense that this might be where God's leading us, but neither of us are excited to be here. Uh, we did not initially did not really feel like this could be our home. Um, we didn't know anyone in Indy. We didn't know anything about Indy. Uh, didn't really know anything about this church other than what you guys had told us. And we're just like, this maybe is where God wants us, but does not seem like it could be the community that we are longing for. Um, but then over time, over the next couple of weeks, continuing in the process, um, you know, Joey gives me a call and, and says, Hey, we're, we're extending an offer for you guys to come candidate. We'd love for you to be the youth pastor at faith church. And so we prayed about it. And, um, and so we decided we kind of made the decision like, okay, we'll come candidate. We're trusting God that if this is, you know, where, where he wants us, he'll make that clear. So we decided to come candidate. Now in the background, my final semester in seminary during which this, all this searching and job searching is going on. Um, the senior pastor of our church. So not the one I had a really great relationship with. That was Paul, but the senior pastor, Dave, he had offered to me at one point, he's like, Hey, if you ever want to like, just come and do some stuff around church, like do some office work, maybe some discipleship, some counseling, that kind of thing, just as like both experience, but also like you could put it on your resume, come do that. So I was working like five to 10 hours a week at my church doing mostly work a monkey could do. Like, one of my tasks I had to spend an hour on one day was figuring out what pens to order to stuff the back of the chairs. Like that was the kind of work I was doing at my church, right? Not something great. And, and so um, at one point, like I had had some conversations with Dave, we'd gone out to lunch a couple of times and I was telling him about, you know, our search and looking for a job and all this stuff. And then anyway, the day before we were coming, we were coming to candidate, he, he texted or called me and said, Hey, have, have you left the office yet? And I said, no, I haven't. He's like, okay, don't leave until I get there. I was like, okay. So he gets in about an hour later and uh, we go into his office. He prints something off on the printer, you know, signs something at the bottom and slides this piece of paper across the table to me. And I read it and it was a job offer to be a pastor at the church. Now, granted, their structure was a little bit different. He didn't need congregational approval to do that. You guys need congregational approval here. But anyway, um, he he's like, you know, I don't know a lot about you. I don't, well, he knew a lot about me. He, it's like, I know, I don't know a lot about your particular gifting and all this stuff, but what I've learned is that building teams and teams that work well together is, can often be more important than how great and talented you are. And he's like, I know Paul and Paul knows you. And Paul says he wants you to be on staff with us. So I trust him. I'm, I want you to be a part of our team. 
And that was the day before we were coming here to candidate. And this is probably a part of the story many of you don't know. I've shared, obviously, since then with a lot of our students and, and other people on our student ministry staff. But that was very difficult um, to come here and candidate. Really required a lot of trust in God because we were here and we get back and we're, the first thing was like an a evening where we were back at the Waltz's house, they were hosting us and it was all the search team and their spouses and the elder executive board and their spouses. And um, I remember it was actually Anne-Marie Shambaugh who came up to us very early on in the evening and said, oh my gosh, we are so thankful that you guys are here and that you're here to candidate. We, we were just afraid that when you left last time, you were not coming back. And meanwhile, Claire and I are like, yeah. <laughs> So about that, uh, we did. And so we felt very disingenuous at times being here, not because we like secretly wanted to stay in Milwaukee. It just kind of blindsided us. And we're like, God, we felt that this was clear. You had finally told us that this is the door you wanted us to go in. And then right before we walked through the door, you opened this other one. Like, what is going on? And so I think for both of us, it was a very trying time of trying to discern, I guess, what God was asking of us. And I do think he could have used us in either situation. But uh, I think probably one of the more influential things that changed our mind or emphasized to us that we needed to be here and that God was calling us here was we met with the elder executive board, um, one of the, like the last nights here. And um, we kind of had told them, I guess I had told Joey what had happened with my other pastor. I was like, hey, we weren't asking for this. We weren't searching this out, but like God just put this in front of us. Um, and so I told Joe, I think he told them. And so they asked if we would come meet with them and I don't know what I was expecting. I think I was expecting something of like, all right, well, we know you have this, but this is where God wants you. And here's why. And maybe a little bit of like guilting us into coming because we made a commitment to come candidate. Um, and I had already heard a little bit of like the, um, I don't want to say debacle, but I'll just use the word of, you know, the previous youth pastor who had come and candidate, and then they had to kind of rescind the offer last minute. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this poor church. Like if this happens again, like I can just sense the amount of hurt that would come from that. And so I was feeling very conflicted, but when we met and went, when we went and met with the elder executive board, they were extremely gracious, extremely kind, extremely supportive, and just said, hey, we want you to be where God is calling you to be. If that's here, great. If that's in Milwaukee, then we don't want to be the people to get in the way of that. And it kind of caught us a little bit off guard. And I will forever remember just the tone in which Tom Waltz was shepherding us and caring for us as part of that meeting where uh, Claire and I left just feeling extremely cared for, extremely valued, and not just a cog in the system. And not saying that that would have happened elsewhere or anything like that, but it was like this moment where Claire and I were like, okay. I think these could be our people. And so that was just a moment. And obviously it's not been all sunshine and roses since then. There's been plenty of difficulties in, in our life and, and in ministry. Uh, but at the same time, even since we've been here, uh, just all along the way, there've been things that have confirmed that this is where God wants us to be. And I've had other friends and pastors call me and email me since then, like, Hey, you know, I've got an opening. Would you be interested? And like, well, God made it very clear to us that this is where he wanted us to be. And until that changes, this is where we're going to stay. Uh, and so that's, that's where we're at. God obviously has plans that we don't know and understand, and we seek to follow him. Uh, but that's just a long-winded answer of how God used pastoring for my sanctification and helping us to depend and trust in him. 
and I know there's technically another P for parenting, but I think we're running out of time. So maybe skip to the last question you have. Okay. If you're okay with it, you could ask me about how parenting has sanctified me, but I think most of you are parents and could probably imagine. <laughs> I think we were confronted with the uh, parenting sanctification about the age of nine months of our son uh, by confronting original sin in, the, yes. in person. Yes. When he yes. refused to eat peas at the dinner time. Uh, yep. yes, so. been, been there for sure. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah, we, we certainly benefited from the story you've told already and our if corporate sanctification is a part of this process, we're very grateful that we have been sanctified by uh, your choice to, to come here, Nathan, with Claire. Uh, but there are some uh, people that may think that you know, sanctification in the ordinary is uh, not common. Uh, how would you say to someone who feels that their sanctification has been mostly ordinary? Yeah, that's a interesting question that I've tried to wrestle with as I've thought about this story is, okay, I know my story in one way is unique and God has used that, but I also know it's fairly common to be like, well, I grew up in the church my whole life. I can't think of a time when I didn't believe in God. And I don't know the time when I accepted Jesus, but God's been changing me from one degree of glory to the next. Uh, And so I think when I think of how I hope people are encouraged by hearing stories like mine, Uh, is that God often doesn't speak to us through clouds of smoke or fire. Um, And he he leads us more often in just like small nudges and quiet whispers. And that often he does just want us to do something that you're wondering, like, do I serve in student ministry or faith kids? Or should I, you know, pursue being a deacon or, you know, there's all types of ways to serve. Do I serve outside of the church? Do I become a teacher in the school? And, influence lives that way, right? There's all kinds of ways. And I think a lot of times God is like, yes, to all of the above, just do something. Um, And I'm not always, I'm definitely not the most faithful person in that. Uh, I can think of many times where it was clear God wanted me to just do something and instead I did nothing. Um, And, uh, you know, that's, I think something we we might all wrestle with at times, Uh, you know, thinking of the parable that Jesus tells of the the master who had gave his servants the the talents, um, you know, and there was a people who multiplied them. And then there was the man who dug it in the dirt, buried it in the dirt and did nothing. And that was the one, the one thing that you weren't supposed to do was to do nothing. And so I think a lot of times God wants to use us. He, he wants us to be a part of growing his kingdom and he just wants us to do something. So it doesn't really matter what, and if it's clear, or if there is something specific, like, no, don't go through that door, go through this door. We need to trust that he will make that known to us.